Welcome to the Life Church Podcast. I'm Tim Blevins, lead pastor, and I'm honored you have come to join us. To experience our full service or for more information, check out the links in the description. I hope this message ministers to you and helps you find life in Jesus. Well, good morning, church. How are you today? Good morning. Good to see you. Welcome to church. If you're a guest, we're just so honored you're with us. I'm glad to be back to church this week. I missed it last week. It was crazy not having church. I know it was sabbatical Sunday, but in some ways I was like, man, I belong in church. And so I'm glad to be here with you today. And I just missed us. Um, If you know, I was out for two weeks. So the previous week, uh, Pastor Gina preached and I was on a short vacation to the mountains and I went and fished and people have asked me, did you catch any fish? And yes, I caught fish. (laughs) If I'm fishing, I'm catching, right? That's all like, some people go fishing, I go catching. That's all I'm saying. But no, we had a great time. I had a little rest, but it's kind of funny. I was driving Sunday morning from here to the mountains to meet my brother and I got to Florence and I looked at my watch and I said to myself, I bet there's a church in town getting ready to start. And I pulled into Florence and found a church and went to church on the way. So I just love church and I love you. So good to be here. Welcome to church. Amen. I had an opportunity to meet with our contractor this week about our new building. Woo! So I'll give you a little update on that. You can kind of feel the chill in the air. It's like, great, God's doing great things. But listen, um, we're on track. So that's good news. We're on track. Um, Things are going well. All the supplies are there. Everything's happening. So I I took a little short video while I was in there. This is just of our lobby. You can check out the the quick video of our lobby. It's beautiful. It's going to be amazing. It's big. So that's just a quick look at the lobby. So it's going to get really busy around there. If you drive by, you're going to probably see a lot of cars over the next month because this month, let me tell you some of the things that are going to be happening this month at our new building. First of all, they're flipping from the temporary power to the main power, which is amazing. They're going to be able to flip on the AC systems in this this month, which is going to be great because I walked through there and those poor workers, they're sweating in the heat. So they're gonna love a little AC. Uh, All the interior lighting will be on and working by the end of the month. The interior doors are gonna start getting hung this month. They had to wait until the AC was on to pull the humidity out so it wouldn't warp the wooden doors. And so all of that's going in this month. They've already begun putting flooring in. Uh, I was in the bathrooms and all the tile floors in the bathrooms already. And so that's happening. The logo is getting installed on the front of our church this month. All the landscaping is getting started this month. It's gonna be wild there. It's gonna be great. So I love it, I love it. I asked our contractor again, I said, I need an update on when we're moving in this building. And so he has told me again, we're going to be completed with the project September-ish. All right. So um, now I tried to, and, and 
uh, Greg Redden and I, we met with him. We tried to nail him down on a date. And I'm just going to tell you kind of where we think it's going to be. So I'm just, what we think, that somewhere late September, we'll get the CO on that building, which means we can occupy the building, which means we'll have a grand opening most likely in October of this year. And we're going to go into that building. We're going to worship our hearts out and we're not going to set up and we're not going to break down and we're going to have a blast. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> so today we're starting a, a short series in the summer here called The Church I See. And my desire is for us as a church body to be reminded a little bit of the DNA of who we are. Sometimes we get busy, we get into church mode of setting up and breaking down. And, and at times we may forget about who we really are as a church. And so I'll just plan on reminding us in three areas. And so the areas that I'm gonna remind us about are the church that I see is a church that's in revival. And so we've always been a church that has passionately pursued God. We, we've passionately pursued the presence of God in our church house. And so today, my, my hope is to, to stir within your heart a spirit of revival. I, listen, I'm not here today to preach a happy message for you. I'm here to not just help you feel good or have knowledge. I feel like God has sent me today. I feel commissioned by God to help stir our church in the spiritual realm today. So when you walk out of here today, you're gonna feel like you've encountered the Holy Spirit. And that's my hope through today. Next week, we're gonna have a great time. We're going to talk about our church that believes and, 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 and pursues miracles of supernatural healings. And at the end of the service, we're gonna have a, a little healing service next week. And we're gonna pray for people to be healed. And, and I have seen God move so many times in this area that it's gonna be a powerful encounter. You do not wanna miss next week. So you gotta come to that. It's gonna be powerful. And then the following week, we're gonna talk about families. We're going to emphasize the, the need for, for us to reach our families and unify families. And the reason we're doing that particular message is a few weeks ago, we had a, a message where in a, in a time where we filled out our dream cards for what we wanted in the new building. And so many people, overwhelmingly number of people wrote on their card that their dream was for their families to come to know Christ. And so we wanna partner with what you wrote on those cards and take a week and pray for that, as well as then we're gonna have a family lunch together. It's gonna to be a great time. So it's gonna be a great three weeks. We're, gonna, we're just gonna really experience God in powerful ways, experience family in a great way. And so I hope you'll be a part of that. Can I get an amen, church? Amen. amen. Well, today I'm here to spark something in your heart. I'm here to help you have a personal spiritual revival in your heart today. And I want you to know I needed as much as you needed. I, I went fishing and it was great. And I will tell you that fishing does a lot for my soul. It really does. But fishing doesn't set my heart on fire for God. And, and I need God more than I need fishing. I need a spiritual revival more than I need anything else in life. And so I'm preaching to you out of a moment where God began to speak to me about personal revival in my life, and I'm sent here to stir it in your life as well. 
The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 11, it says to never be lacking in zeal. Like never be lacking in zeal. Like it's a, it's a commandment from the Lord that we would, we would be full of his, his spirit and we would be on fire for the things of God. And we would have power within our tech systems and, and we would see it all light up and, and all, there it goes. Don't mess with me today, devil, don't do it. We're going somewhere today. Never be lacking in zeal, it says, and, and to keep your spiritual fervor. In other words, there's, there should be passion in our life for God. There ought to be a deep commitment for him. We ought, to, we ought to worship the true and living God from the depths of our heart. We ought to pray like we need a breakthrough, like we've got to step into something special. I believe today is a moment for our church body to experience something fresh and new in the area of revival today. It says to have that spiritual fervor and serve the Lord. In other words, we should have a passion to serve God and to live out the, the purpose of God, of, of, of reaching the lost and, and being a church that's on fire for God and making a difference in our city. And so today I'm in it today. I'm, I'm here for it today. I can't wait to dig in this with you. My sermon title today is Revive Me. Revive Me. Revival in our nation, we want it, we sing about it. Revival in our city, we want it, we sing about it. But I want you to know that revival will begin in local churches before it goes into the city. It's gotta be in the house first before it moves out. Like if we're not on fire, how can we set our city on fire for God? And so we must be on fire. But also if we want it in our local churches, then revival has to begin in the individuals, in the body of Christ, in your heart, in my heart. It's the collective agreement of you and I saying, God, I want more of you in my life and I want it now, God. And if we'll respond to that, he'll show up and do something powerful in this body. Revival begins. I wanna tell you, we're gonna start a fire today. Revival begins today, amen? It's gonna be great, it's gonna be great. Let me pray, Father, we need you, we need you, we need you, Father. I thank you, Lord, that you're gonna set our hearts on fire for you today. Help us, Father, to hunger and thirst after you. And Lord, if there's anything whatsoever, big or small, that's holding us back, from full out zeal of the Lord. Lord, would you reveal it to us so that we may turn from that and that you can revive us again, Lord. Lord, I pray these things in the wonderful, matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. I wanna begin my message today with three prophetic statements that I heard this week. I was, actually I heard it on, on like an Instagram reel. Imagine that, something good came out of that. But there was a, a pastor that shared these three statements and, and when I heard it, it quickened something in my heart. And I was like, hey, that, that was for me and there's a part of that's for our church body. And so I, I wrote him down and I began to pray over these three statements and I felt like the Lord began to, to use that for me to, to speak to our church body about these three things. And, and so I've taken it adapted it by God's spirit today. And the three things of this is one, I believe that the first statement I would have for you is that we have to see the signs. See the signs. There's a clear and undeniable 
signs, signs that are pointing to the existence uh, of a storm clouds of darkness that are just spreading over our nation and, and around the world. Every form of violence and wickedness is happening and, and there are signs of that. And I feel like that we're not to put our heads in the sand and just pretend it's gonna go away one day and hope somebody else fixes it. We must be awake to the signs. But I want you to know it's okay. Because when you see the signs and you recognize the darkness, I want you to know that God always has a plan. Because the darker it gets, the brighter his light shines. And I think this is where I wanna land us as much as anything, but we have to feel the stirrings right now. So yes, we, we see the signs, but now we feel the stirrings. There's an incredible global stirring of the Holy Ghost right now. There are revivals that are breaking out and, and I'm hearing from other churches and pastors and reading and seeing it. There, there, there's an awakening and a, a resurgence of the people seeking God and, and worshiping God all over the world and in our nation. And, and, and I believe that God's wanting to stir us to be a part of this global type of awakening that as it gets darker, he's rising up churches that will be light in it all. We need to feel those stirrings, church. We need to feel it. Don't be insensitive to the move of God. That's my encouragement to you. Don't be just laying back and thinking it's gonna be okay. He's drawing us as a church body. He wants to revitalize the church, our church, in worship, in prayer, and evangelism. And then the third statement is we must make our move. We must make our move. Don't sit on the sidelines. Like there's a, a place for each one of us to, to make our move, to respond to this, to, to see the signs, to feel the stirrings, but, but we have to have action. We have to have a, a move of our part. We can't just rely on someone else to be the only voice out there. We can't say, well, Harriet will take care of it. And she'll do her best, don't, don't get me wrong. But, but she can't do it alone. We're called to be a church body that lives out the spirit of revival. Don't sit on the sidelines. God's calling each one of us to, to turn to him. He's calling you to ask for refreshing in your spirit today. And if there's anything that's holding you back, big or small, that we are to get rid of those things that are, that are preventing us from full out fervor and zealous heart for the kingdom of God. He's calling us in church to something new today. I see something special about our church. And I see today as a moment, a special day that God wants to do something. And so I'm asking you today to have ears to hear the word and then respond, make your move, amen? I wanna spend a little time in the book of Revelation today. There are seven churches that are mentioned in chapter two and three. And I feel like that as we look at these seven churches, you can see their strengths and you can see their weaknesses. And I think there's things that we can learn from their strengths, but also we can learn from their weaknesses and areas that they're missing the mark. And, and maybe as a church, we can say, hey, let's be sure we don't do that. And we, and we focus on what we're supposed to be doing. And so we're gonna talk about that because I believe that as we pursue God, as we learn from these seven churches, it, it will help stir a revival in your heart and our church. And so if you're new to 
to church and an understanding of the Bible, let me share with you that the book of Revelation is the last book in the Bible. It was written about 95 BC, which is about 60 to 65 years after the death and resurrection of Christ, which means the early church was birthed about 60 years before this was written. And so the early church is about 60 years old. So life at the end of this first century though was certainly not easy. And especially for the early Christian church, it was a very difficult time for them. Almost all of the apostles were dead at this point. The churches were in decline and persecution was rampant against the believers and many were being martyred. At this point, the churches and the pastors and the people, they needed to be revitalized and they were weary, they were tired from the spiritual battles and they'd lost their focus and they were struggling. And, and this is where the book of Revelation kind of opens up in chapter two and three because the, the, the author of this is John and he has been exiled to a small island, a Patmos. And, and while he's there to, to actually suffer and die, he's been, he's been arrested and put there. While he's there, he gets this vision from God and he begins to write the vision out. And this is the book of Revelation. But in the beginning part of this vision, he, he writes to these seven churches. Now, when John is writing, he is writing from a vision that he had from Jesus. And so he is sending this word from Jesus from paper to a letter to seven different churches. Now, the letters are addressed to the pastors of the church. It refers to them as the angel of the of the church of Sardis to the angel. And so the angel's representing the leadership or the pastor of the church. And so when you read this and you go back, you can see that it's written to pastors. And, and I want you to know that, that God always holds church pastors responsible and accountable for the flocks they lead. And so this is that responsibility and that accountability to these seven pastors. And, and as we study it, you're gonna find there are some good things and then there are some things that the pastors have not done well in. And, and so you'll find that the, 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 the Bible, as it says it, it'll be like, I praise you for this and you've done great at this. But then there's the statement that says, but I have this against you. And listen, I want you to know, as a pastor, the last thing I want to hear is Jesus to say, hey, good job, Tim, y'all did great here, but I have this against you, Pastor Tim. Listen, I don't know about you, but I don't want Jesus against me in any way, amen? I started to name this sermon today, I don't want a letter from John. And I don't, <laughs> I don't want a letter from John. I want to get it right. I want to shepherd our church the way we're supposed to, to go. And so today, the, the, the seven churches, and listen, I'm not going to read all the text because there's way too much. So I'm going to tell you about the church, a little bit about it and move to the next church. And then on the last church, I'll preach a little extra on it. So the first church that's mentioned is in Revelations 2, chapter, uh, chapter 2, 1 through 7. And this is the church at Ephesus. Now, this is what I would call the distracted church. And so when you read it, you're gonna go and read this text and, and you'll find out that they excelled in calling out evil people. Like they were good at it. They were like, that's evil, you're wrong, and you need to turn around and repent. And they, they were good at it. They saw evil and they, they just couldn't tolerate it. The Bible actually said this. It says they cannot tolerate wicked people. 
So like that just turned them off, man. They were like, this church, they were ferocious against culture. And listen, their, their culture was a mess, similar to how our culture becomes a mess. And here's the thing that, that's interesting is Jesus praised them for their ferociousness against evil. He said, good job. He's like, I, good job. We need churches that can, can see evil and, and, and stand on truth. But then it said this, I have this against you. And he said, here's what's against you. You've lost your love that you once had. And I was thinking about that and I was like, what, how do you sort that? They were ferocious against evil, but they'd lost their love. And, and I felt like it was a distracted church that they had gotten so focused on all that was happening in culture that they forgot that they were a church that is supposed to love God and, and love people and even loved the lost and they'd lost that part of their church for being so distracted and angry at evil. And so I want to be sure as a church that we have a healthy balance between calling out what is wrong, but also demonstrating the love of God through it all. Amen, church. So that's the church at Ephesus, the church at Smyrna. I can't even pronounce it today. Smyrna. Is that how you say it? Smyrna. Smyrna. Either way. Uh, Revelations 2, 8 through 11. This is the persecuted church. This would not be an easy letter to receive. It said this, that, that this church um, was gonna experience hardships. They were gonna experience persecutions and even to death. And the, the encouragement that's given in this letter is that they would not be afraid. That they would face these this level of persecution, and they would not be afraid to continue to stand for God in the middle of it all. And when I read that, I thought, man, I saw half of our church body when we went through COVID turn to fear and walk away from God because they were afraid. Afraid of government, afraid of attending, afraid of everything. I felt Honestly, when that happened, I took it personal. I, I felt like I, I should have gotten a letter because somewhere I didn't train our people to, to be strong in the midst of difficulties and strong in the midst of persecution. Today, I'm teaching it. And the thing with this text is, is it doesn't say if you stand strong, then God's gonna come and whoop all your enemies and you're gonna live in a, in a mansion. No, it just says you're gonna be persecuted, some of you all the way to death and your crown will be in heaven. And I wanna ask you, will you serve him and will you stand for him without a promise of earthly blessing? Mm, that's heavy, isn't it? That's what the letter they got. I don't want that letter. The church of Pergamos, I would call this the compromising church. The Bible said this about the city of Pergamos, and this is pretty significant because it says that this is the city where Satan has his throne. Like, wow, I would, I would move. <laughs> I would find me a new city. I wouldn't go to Smyrna. I, I would go somewhere else, but I would not stay there. Or I would be a pastor in that city who had the courage because it says that Jesus praised them for remaining faithful in a city with so much satanic worship in it. Wow. But 
they ended up compromising. Jesus said, I have this against you. And this is what he had against him. He, the Bible says that you tolerate those who teach unbiblical cultural practices. You tolerate it. In other words, I, I think that there's a way that they, they, they genuinely love God, but culture was in a way that they didn't wanna, they didn't wanna stop culture. They didn't wanna put a boundary around their, their community and protect, the pastors didn't commit, con, they, didn't, um, they didn't shepherd their community and protect them from the voices that were coming in. And as it happened, they became compromised and they allowed false worship and they allowed sexual immorality to become normalized in the church. In other words, they didn't hold to truth and they allowed culture to creep into the church and the church began to look like the world. They were compromised. In my opinion, I think it was this, that they were afraid of offending anyone in culture. I think they were like, hey, we're just gonna be a little church here. We're gonna love Jesus. We're gonna do our thing, but we're not gonna tell anybody what's wrong because we don't wanna hurt anybody's feelings. We don't want someone to look at us and go, oh, you all are so mean. No, 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 they were afraid of that. And so instead of holding the line and saying, God, this is truth, we're gonna hold it up. They just let it creep into the church and now the church was compromised. I would say they became a woke and spineless church. I don't want that letter. The next church, the church of Thyresia, I believe. This was the church I would say that has weak leadership. Now Jesus gave this church many compliments. Complimented their love, complimented their faith. Jesus complimented that they served one another Jesus complimented they were faithful and, and they, they endured for God and all of these great things. And then though he comes with this, but I have this against you, but I have this against you, he says. And what, they had, what Jesus had against them is they had allowed a, a sinful, influential woman to remain in a position of influence in their church. They allowed her to have position. Now the Bible uses the word Jezebel a Jezebel spirit. This woman was carrying a spirit that, that attacked leadership, that defiled the church and divided the church. And the, the, the staff, the, the pastor, he did not confront, he didn't correct, and he didn't remove this person. And they allowed her to minister. And over time, she defiled, divided, and destroyed the church because the pastor was too weak to deal with it. Now listen, I hate confrontation. Listen, it's the last thing on my list. If I have a to-do list, the last thing's gonna be confrontation. Matter of fact, I really want people to like me a lot. Like if I had my preference, I'd own an ice cream shop instead of being a pastor because everybody likes to go to ice cream shops and be happy. Like that, I can make everybody happy if I own an ice cream shop. But God didn't call me to that. I'm not doing what I wanna do, I'm doing what I'm called to do. And sometimes in a calling, you have to confront things in your church body. And I'm called to be a shepherd. And sometimes I have to look at somebody and go, hey, it's not working here. Like you're dividing. 
And there have been so many times there have been people that have rolled through our church that have, that have had a divisive spirit inside of them. And I'll be honest with you, there have been seasons that I've lingered and didn't deal with it in time. And the result, there was a piece of division. Probably I could have received a letter. Not today. But I'm here to tell you that no one's getting kicked out today. Amen. <laughs> no problems in the house today. Amen. So, but listen, church leadership isn't easy and it's okay. They just failed to have strength. That was that church. The next church, the church of Sardis, the church of Sardis. I would call this the spiritually dead church. The Bible says this about the church. He goes, it says that I know all the things you do. Complimenting all these things they do. He says, I know all the things you do, but and you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. So the Bible says, I know all these things you do, and you have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Jesus says they're dead. It's probably pretty dead, wouldn't you think? So this church is a church that has a lot of activities. They have lots of butts in the seats, but they're spiritually lifeless. They, they are, they're worshiping, but they're not encountering the presence of God. They're, they're singing songs, but it's not worship. They're, they're preaching, but there's not anointing. They're, they're praying without an expectation of a move of God in it. They're just going through these motions and they're just, they're just doing church. And, and, but there's not the spirit of God. There's not the Holy Spirit at move. And I would say that this church would be defined as a church with a lot of activities and very little power of the Holy Spirit in the middle of it. And I don't wanna be that church. I'm not getting that letter, I can tell you that. The church of Philadelphia is the next church. This is the church we wanna be a part of. You call this the faithful church. It's the only church out of the seven churches that received only praise and no correction. So amen to Philadelphia. I'm not even a Philadelphia fan. <laughs> but they got it right, amen? Last church that I'm gonna spend a little extra time on, the church of, are in Laodicea. And I will call this the lukewarm church. And today I wanna to preach about this church for a few minutes. I'm not gonna take a long time. Time is gonna run out on me. But after I finish preaching, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to move. I'm gonna give you an opportunity to, to respond to the message and and come forward. I'm, I'm just giving you a setup. I'm letting you know that there's going to be a moment that you get to make a decision about revival in your own heart. And I'm going to call the church to move out and come for an old fashioned Holy Ghost revival at the altar moment. And you'll have the option to choose yes or no. Amen. Revelation chapter 314, the the angel, to the angel. So this is to the pastor of the church in Laodicea. John writes this on behalf of Jesus. And he says, these are the words of the amen. So it's from Jesus. He is the amen, the faithful and true witness. He is, he is the ruler of all God's creation. Verse 15 says, and I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. Jesus says, I wish you were one or the other. 
So because you are lukewarm, Jesus says, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Listen, Laodicea was a very wealthy city and they had a flourishing business environment and entrepreneurs were, were flourishing. And I even studied that they had a, a flourishing medical community there as well. The, the people were smart and they were productive and the city was, was thriving in all the economic indicators. The only thing this city lacked was was their own water supply. And so the city of Laodicea found two different regions and one region had hot springs. And so they, they cut a deal with them from this area to where that hot water would flow into the city. And they found another place where there was cold, refreshing water. And they, they made these cisterns and, and a system where that cold water to come in. And so they made a system where they would have both hot and cold water. The problem was, is they didn't realize that as that water traveled from these hot springs, that as it traveled, it cooled off. And the cold water got kind of warm as it came in and they had neither hot nor cold, it was tepid. And the story is that people would drink it and spit it out of their mouth because they were disappointed that their government couldn't provide for them. So when Jesus makes this statement to the church, you're neither hot nor cold, they understood this rebuke. They understood that they were neither hot nor cold when it came to their walk with God and that, that Christ condemned them for their spiritual neutrality. They were not rebellious people. They weren't evil people. They weren't even negative about God. They were just not hot. They were just not passionate. They were just not committed. It wasn't they were bad people. They just whatever people. I was thinking about this in, in my life and, and sometimes I feel in my life, a slipping towards that neutrality at times. You get busy with what you're doing and you, you put it off or you don't take the time for something spiritually and, and it happens a couple times and before you know it, you kind of just get comfortable and, and nothing bad's going on, nothing bad's happening in my life. God's not mad at me, I'm not rebellious. It just just turns into just daily life, just living and moving and grooving. And, and you'd think, well, it must be okay. And, and that would be my, my danger zone of just moving to, to a place of, of just lack of passion, a lack of zeal. My danger isn't rebellion. Uh, listen, I, I, listen, I'm not saying I can't sin. I wouldn't ever sin. I'm just saying I don't really can't even comprehend a scenario in my life where I would just outright rebel against God and go, I quit serving God. I quit. Like I, there's no scenario that could come up that I could go, that might happen. And so it's not that God's worried about me walking away. The enemy doesn't trap me with that. He traps me with complacency. And that's where the church is. That's where Laodicea is. That's where much of America is. And I, I feel like that, that there's so many people go that I love God, but there's no passion, there's no zeal there. 
The Bible says in verse 17, it says, it says that you say, this is Jesus to the church, you say I'm rich and you've acquired wealth and you do not need a thing. In other words, they, they've lost their dependency on God. They've become comfortable in their life. They've become prosperous enough that they can just get along and they don't feel this, this desperate need for God. And so now they're just complacent. I will tell you the greatest enemy we have in the midst of our blessings is complacency. That's where it is. There's a lack of dependency. I see this church and, and I see these people and I think they, they went to church, they sang the songs and they patted the pastor on the back and they said, good message preacher. And then they went right about life with no change and nothing's happening. They didn't lift their hands and surrender at church. They didn't, they just like, hey, it's a good song, good job. Scott, you really sang it, woo. Listen, I want you to know, I don't come to church to clap at Scott singing the songs. I come to church to have an encounter with the living presence of God. The reason I missed it last week is I wasn't with my people. I wasn't encountering the presence of God the same way. And they didn't, this church didn't. They didn't come to worship in spirit and truth. They didn't pray like they needed a breakthrough. They're like, yeah, I'm good. If I need some medical help, I can pay for it. I mean, they were like, they were good. Listen, I want you to know, I need God more than I need money. I need the power of God more than I need a doctor. I need the power of God more than I need anything else in life. They weren't there. They were complacent. They didn't spread the good news like people's lives were hanging in the balance. They did good works, they got them jobs. But they didn't save their souls. They were going through the motions, but they lacked zeal from the Lord. And obviously, from this text, a lukewarm Christian must be repulsive to God. And I don't wanna be repulsive to God. It says, it would rather you be cold for God than to be lukewarm. And the reason is, is when someone's totally cold for God, listen, they, they know they're not with God. Their life is like not serving God, they know it. The danger is, is to be playing church, but not encountering God and walking by the spirit. And that's what the lukewarm person is. They're going through the motions, but there's nothing going on. So the Bible goes on to say in verse 17, it says, you do not, speaking to the church there, you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. They didn't even realize it. How many people are just walking through churches today, walking in and out, and there's no change, there's no spirit life, there's no encounter, there's no praying. There's, they're just, hey, they checked off the box. They, they are cultural Christianity. Like they just go to church, check the box. Listen, I'm not in it for that. I'm, listen, I'm not getting this letter because today I'm preaching that we're gonna be on fire for God. We're gonna be hot for God. We're gonna pursue God. We're gonna say, Holy Spirit, come. Listen, I don't care who cares. I'm pursuing God. The message was to the Laodiceans, wake up, see the signs, feel the stirrings, make a move. How do we do it? Verse 18 says, these are Jesus' words through John. He says, I counsel you. 
which I thought was a very gentle way for the Holy Spirit to speak. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Jesus says, buy from me. Listen, we don't buy our salvation at all. It's not meaning that. But we have to invest our hearts and we have to we have to discipline ourselves in the same way they discipline themselves to earn wealth. We can discipline ourselves to, to press in and to, to seek God. It takes effort to seek God. But he says, when you do, it says he'll make you rich. And you'd rather be rich in grace than rich in wealth. I'm not saying you can't have money, but I'm gonna tell you, if you have to choose between the two, choose grace. He said he'll cover your shame. He'll forgive your sins. And then he'll help you see the glory of God. He'll help you see the beauty of God. If you'll just turn to him, that's what he's saying, turn to me. Turn away from the things of the world. Turn away from the things that are crowding out your heart from seeking God and pursue him. Verse 19, and by the way, worship team, if you'll make your way up here, guys. Verse 19, Jesus says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. And listen, the, the message that I'm sharing today may, may feel like a little bit of a, of a hit for some of us, but it's because he loves us enough to tell us when we're off track. He loves us enough to not leave us in our lukewarm state. And so it says that we should be earnest and repent Man, I'm calling us today to a place of repentance today. The Bible says that Jesus says, here I am, I'm standing at the door, I'm knocking on your heart. And if anyone hears my voice and opens that door, he says, I'll come in, I'll eat. In other words, I'll have an intimate moment with you. And I want you to know Jesus is knocking, amen? He's knocking on your heart, he's knocking on my heart. I feel it today. I don't know about you, but I feel his spirit in the house today. I feel him stirring and, and I don't wanna miss the moment of this moment we have in church where we can respond to God, we can make our move. Mm. Holy Spirit, come. Listen, I, I didn't preach this today just to educate you. I preached this today to stir something in your heart and to move you out of a, a place of wherever you are into a, a hot, walk with God, that we would never be lacking in zeal. And I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to do something special in this room today. Today's not an ordinary day. Now, maybe you came to church thinking, yay, I'm going to church, and I did too. But this morning when I was praying, I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me. And he said, don't go preach. Go stir, go ignite, go set a fire in your church. My letter came by the Holy Spirit this morning. And he said, set them on fire. Don't let lukewarm set in in your church. I said, yes, sir. And I want you to know that, that the direction is more important than your location. 
It doesn't matter where you are at this moment. I don't care if your life is, is covered up with busyness and, and, and I don't care if you're covered up in sin and addiction. It, it's not about your location, it's about your direction today. Think about the, the story of the, the prodigal son. The prodigal son, he, he came to realize that he was living in squalor, that sin was covering, mud was covering him, and he began in the direction of his father. Listen, he wasn't clean, he was still dirty, he had on old raggedy clothes, and he was headed in the right direction. The father saw him, ran to him, and began to love him, clean him, transform his life, but it was about the direction. So if you came into church and your life was maybe a little lukewarm today, maybe you're like, yeah, take it or leave it. Not anymore. Maybe your life is covered with sin and you're like, oh my gosh, my life is a mess. Not anymore. Maybe your life is coming in and you feel apathetic to the things of God. It's time for us to wake up and move out and say, God, would you revive my heart again? And so I'm calling you from the front row to the back row. Anyone that hears my voice that you would move out of a Laodicean mindset and you'd move into a zealous heart. I'm stirring in your heart right now in this moment. And if you feel a little lukewarm, you feel like your purpose is shrinking back by the busyness, respond today and repent and move forward out of the complacency. Let revival come in your heart. Will you come? Will you come? Who will come? Who's gonna come from the back? Who's gonna come from the front? Who's gonna come from the middle? Who says, God, I need you? God, I'm not gonna sit back and I'm not gonna miss my moment. This is your moment. God wants to move. He wants to stir your heart. He wants you to feel revival in your heart. Maybe you've been through heartbreak that has pulled you away from God for a season. He wants to revitalize you deep down. I believe that as you come, He'll anoint you. I believe He'll set your heart on fire. You young people, you won't leave here the same, I promise you. Things are gonna happen as I pray. You can't respond and say, God revived me without Him reviving you. Listen, we're not getting a letter. We're not getting a letter unless we're Philadelphia, amen? Father, we love you. Lift your hands to him. Say, God, I love you. Begin to pour out your heart. Ask him to fill your spirit. Ask him to revive you. You step out, you make your move. God, you're amazing. Worship team, begin to lead us in worship. As they lead us, would you pour out your heart to God? Lord, we love you. Send revival.